Shit We've Read is a proud member of Bilo Network, a network of geeky podcasts. Please visit shitweavered.com to support the show. Now let's talk about some books. Hello, Internet Bookworms, and welcome to another episode of Shit We've Read, a sci-fi and fantasy book podcast hosted by some geeky friends. My name is Jason Rico, and on this episode, we will be discussing The Daughter of Dr. Moreau by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. But in order to do that, I got to introduce my co-host. Joining me is Bella Romero. Hey, Bella. Hey, you guys. <clears throat> oh, wait. <clears throat> I did not like that. My voice cracked. Um <laughs> Hey, you guys, it's just me and Rico this time, so this should be pretty fun. Yeah, no no Laura this time, but that's okay, because you and I together in a room, I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about and yes. lots of opinions, so. <laughs> As always. <laughs> we are very opinionated people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, as always, we'll get to the episode discussion in a bit, but let's talk a little bit about some of the other shit we're reading. Bella, have you been reading anything fun lately? Yes, I feel like I've been on a real reading kick in and out of the podcast and my other book club, which I've mentioned occasionally here on the show. Um, so I read my book club does random books. We just kind of go with whatever we fancy. So the actual book that we read for this meeting, which is actually tomorrow at the time of recording, um, is Love Boat Taipei, which is such a fun why a romance book uh, featuring uh, American-born Asian students who travel to Singapore, Taipei, uh, and they go on a what's supposed to be like a super academic, rigorous study program for young uh, seniors going into their freshman years of college. They're all going to, you know, the top universities. Um, But little do their parents know this is actually like a big love love match uh matchmaking adventure and um (laughs) they end up kind of all rebelling from their parents like yeah their school they're learning mandarin they're learning uh uh let's see what do they learn like ribbon dancing calligraphy like all of these like sort of cultural traditions that they maybe not don't have back home in the states and it's just really good you just you're you're in somebody's Bildung's Roman story. She's a great character, super relatable, especially for anyone who's like a first gen uh, Im- child of immigrants. Um, it's such a good story. Um, I really don't want to spoil it too much other than like wild, crazy adventures ensue. There's a love triangle, you know, friends betraying friends. It's great. Um, and then I read the sequel, um, which was Love Boat Reunion. Uh, which features two other characters who were in the first book, um, but they were side characters. So that was re- that was a fun read. I didn't like it as much as the second one. Um, and then I also just recently read Red, White, and Royal Blue, which was a romance novel that came out in like 2019. And as our lovely friend Z mentioned, it was written for me. Uh, somebody <laughs> went into my brain and was like, "What could I write a book on?" It is the it is about a romance between the first son of the United States. And Prince Henry of England, <laughs> Henry, not not the other H word, um, Prince Henry. And it's all about like it's Alex is the first son and he is like super politically savvy, but he is a biracial Mexican-American. His mother's from Texas, very white Southern drawl mom, but like super badass. And all he wants to do is like turn Texas blue. That's his big dream. 
Um, He wants to like go back to his home state and really make a difference. And he goes on this sexual awakening, discovers his like really, really welcomes his bisexual identity and a romance ensues between this is all in like the synopsis of the of the book. But a romance ensues between the two and it's forbidden because they're both heads, basically the heads of state, right, or children of the heads of state of their respective country. Um, and they have to keep it a secret. And it's very interesting. Uh, enemies to lovers. Uh, really great writing and very spicy. I was oh. shocked at the spice. I was reading this on my family trip in Idaho and was like, oh, my. Um, I need to be in a room for this. I'm in the <laughs> living room. Grandma's over there. Niece and nep- nieces are over there. I never would have guessed it was spicy from the cover. Right? It is. For those of you listening, please Google this cover. It is like, it looks like a super cute rom-com movie poster. It's adorable. Great artistry by the cover artist. Completely thought this Mm. was going to be a PG, maybe PG-13 romance novel. No, it got a little spicy. I was was shocked. I don't know if I'd give it a rated R, but it was... It was graphic. I liked I liked it, though. It was very good. Uh, the scenes were written beautifully. I mean, I had no problems with this book. Nice. Um, I highly recommend it for anyone looking for, like, a modern romance novel. Um, so, yeah, this was kind of the month of romance novels, I guess, for me, including this book, um, which we'll get into a little bit more. A little summer but, romance? All right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's yeah, it's been a very romantic month. So, very Isn't it great when you find a book that you feel like was written just for you? It, like they, it's they, such I feel like it's a high that every book reader chases. Oh my god. And then when yes. you find one, you're like, oh my God, this this is it. They this were, is what I've been looking for. And I and you spend exactly. your entire life looking for it again. The, the only <laughs> way it would have been better was if like Alex and Henry were like female characters, like femmes. Mm. Um they were very like cis men, mm. but it still was perfect. Like so perfect. I was like, I am Alex. Like I just was like in Alex's head. Um, and there were Star Wars references, just like a lot of political commentary that I say all the time in my day job. Like, I just, it just was like, excuse me, did somebody steal <laughs> my thoughts? This is not okay. So big fan. Yeah. Le- at that high, I haven't felt that in a long time. So that was really fun. You know, it would be great. kind of a funny, uh, exercise to do you me and laura all write down the ingredients that would make our perfect oh, like book. a blind date and then and then the, yeah the other ones have to try to find as close to it as possible and see who gets closest oh that's gonna be hard i think you guys will be really good at that i'm gonna be really bad but I'm, we should try it we should it'll do be, it it'll be tough because i feel like i've already found it but potentially so but yeah i don't know it could be fun yeah we should you guys, maybe this is going to be a new episode segment, little like <laughs> mini sewed when we yeah. just need to film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be Blind fun. date with a book. I have a couple of blind dates with books sitting on my bookshelf that I'll probably get to now that I've done my homework for my book club and the podcast. <laughs> nice. But yeah. uh, what have you been reading, Rico? Have you found any books that are written for you and uh, that brought you joy, sparked joy in your life? You know, actually, kind of, kind of. Um, I, I mentioned this, I think, the last episode that I was going through a bunch of Isaac Asimov's books. Um, 
because I had read iRobot and then found out later that his Empire series and Foundation series all took place in the same universe over a span of like thousands of years. Ooh. And so I think probably last time I forgot that part. we talked, I just got through like the, the robot series and was beginning the Empire series, I think. Now I have pretty much finished it all. I, I, I just wrapped up the last Foundation book. And um, there was two books in the robot series that I felt like really were written just for me because I love Sherlock Holmes. Like I love that kind of style you of do. mystery and detective yeah. story. And, but I also really like sci-fi and like robot stuff. And so there's these two books that were basically if Sherlock Holmes and Watson were in the future, but Watson is a robot and it kind of dealt with like different planets and different types of humans and like what human evolution would look like on different planets and there was like a murder mystery. And I, I, I just read these books. And I'm like, how have I not heard about these until now? <laughs> like, I had no idea this was a thing. Like, this is yeah. exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, after the robot series, the Empire series, not my cup of tea at all. Too political. Oh. I don't like political stuff very that's much. That's true. That is where we dis- That's where we diverge. Yeah. And then the Foundation series, there was that original trilogy. And then two prequel books were in later. And then two sequel books were in later. I like the prequel and the sequel bo- books more because that's where he tries to connect it to his previous stuff. Mm. The core trilogy, again, was very political. Mm. Um, so the entire, God, I don't even know how many books are, 12 books, I think, total. I was going to ask, how many books was that? I think it's seven plus three plus five. It's like 15 books, I think, around there. Very up and down. But overall, it's been a fun ride. I can say I'm a true classic sci-fi nerd. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think, so that's. I think you were a true classic sci-fi nerd in my book, but thank you, I appreciate I, that. I respect you doing the homework. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I gave I'm, you the credit. <laughs> I'm getting my my card in the mail now, my official card any any day okay. now. So yeah, so, put that in my wallet. <laughs> I was gonna say you're gonna carry that around. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Proudly. <laughs> if that was a real thing. Absolutely. Because <clears throat> want... Oh, oh, not this ID. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. I want my romance novel card. I'm like, I'm very into this genre now. Like, I, I mean, I feel like I always was, but now it's like. The more and more that I read these books, I'm like, yeah, just gotta embrace it. I think library. <laughs> I think libraries start issuing library cards that <gasps> representative, yes, and like different tiers. So like, oh, I have I have <gasps> this card, but I have the third tier because I've checked out yes. enough books. Okay, a little I street cred, you know. <laughs> this okay, yes, this is actually a plea to the librarians of the world. If anyone's listening, to please do library rewards. I would love to be rewarded for the number of books that I read. I know that there's always like a summer reading re- program. Yeah. And I've actually heard on Book Talk uh, that some libraries let you do it regardless of your age. So Rico, you nice. and I might want to go oh. check that out in Sacramento. I'm going to um, murder these kids. Right? I'm like, Mitch, hmm, please <laughs> okay. hold my Starbucks coffee. <laughs> I can get through some books, let me tell you. Um, so yeah, I just, I just feel like there's an opportunity here to really like reward people. We love our little like extrinsic motivational treats, you know, yeah. miles. I'd be happy with a sticker. Just put a, like a little sticker on my card, you know, I, oh, you, you read one to 10 like, books, you get a blue I thinking, sticker. I was thinking more like read 10 books, get a book bag, you know, read like 20 books, get mm. like a cool bookmark. Mm. Like I'm simple. Just, apparently I would like a book light. You know, I would like a little, there's like these things that you can hook your Kindle up to that it'll like flip the pages. So when you're in bed, you can just like put the Kindle above your head and like use a little remote to change the pages. So, I I would okay. appreciate that at night. 
So what you want is like when we were in school and you had to do fundraisers. And if you sold enough things, yes. you can choose stuff out of the catalog, right? Yes, 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 yes. yes. That's what you want, but reading. I loved that. Yes. And like Starbucks, it's like you get 250 stars, get a free drink. Yes, I absolutely okay. I want to be rewarded okay, I see. for my I see where you're coming from. All right. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Yes. I mean, I'm going to read anyways, but I would like I would like something to show for it, Rico. <laughs> because okay, no enough. one believes fair how enough. fast I read. So I would also love them to reward me. For like, wow, you finished that book in under 24 hours. Like, gold star. Like, thank you. I did. Like, this book, I think I spent, I don't, how many hours would you say you spent reading our our book that we're featuring today? Oh, um, total hours? I don't yeah. know. Maybe like 12 max, maybe? Yeah, it was a quick read. I was, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by that. I wonder if there's a way to check that off. And that's, you know, reading a chapter, getting distracted on TikTok, coming back to it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely <laughs> took breaks. I feel yeah. like this was a good yeah. book for that. Yeah. Um, I think we'll get more into that yeah. later. Well, but, it sounds yeah. like we're ready to jump in. So let's let's yeah, let's get I think to we it. Are. Uh, again, I mentioned we're discussing the daughter of Doctor Moreau, which is by Silvio Moreno Garcia. It is a historical fiction, science fiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bella, would you like to read the synopsis for us yeah. from Goodreads? <clears throat> Absolutely, I would. So from the New York Times bestselling author of Mexican Gothic, a previous feature on this podcast, mm-hmm. and Velvet Was the Night, comes a dreamy reimagining of the island of Dr. Moreau, set against the backdrop of 19th century Mexico. Carlota Moreau, a young woman growing up in a distant and luxurious estate, safe from the conflict and strife of the Yucatan Peninsula, the only daughter of either a genius or a madman. Montgomery Lawton, a melancholic overseer with a tragic past and a propensity for alcohol, an outcast who assists Dr. Moreau with his scientific experiments, which are financed by the Lizaldis, owners of magnificent haciendas and plentiful coffers. The hybrids, the fruits of the doctor's labor, destined to blindly obey their creator and remain in the shadows, a motley group of part human, part animal monstrosities all of them living in a perfectly balanced and static world, which is jolted by the abrupt arrival of Eduardo Lizalde, the charming and careless son of Dr. Moreau's patron, who will unwittingly begin a dangerous chain reaction. For Moreau keeps secrets, Carlota has questions, and in the sweltering heat of the jungle, passions may ignite. All right, thank you for that. Um, Before, you know, I ask you for your first impressions. I, I have a couple questions I kind of want to ask you. Mm-hmm. So the synopsis uh, states, and maybe listeners you already knew, but this is a reimagining of The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells, which was written, I think, like 1896 around the yeah, give or take. over 100 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you yourself, Bella, are, are you familiar with the original story, or did you come into this blind? I came into this... Semi-blind. Um, I've never actually read the book. Um, okay. It's been on my list. Uh, I feel like it's a classic. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone talks about it. It's had many films mm-hmm. um, and other retellings. So I was familiar with the story on a very like high-level idea. Like I understood who the doctor was, the hybrids, that there was you know people who came to the island and disrupted their community chaos ensued people died etc um so i was kind of familiar with the structure of the story the main point gotcha gotcha because mm-hmm. i'm always curious when people have either read a re, uh, original source and read a reimagining what mm-hmm. that 
how, how that influences their enjoyment of the second book, right? Like, does it set up any expectations? Are you waiting for certain beats of the original story to be met? And when it yeah. doesn't, does it, does it disappoint? <clears throat> so it'll be curious because I've read the original novel. So I always come at it from that angle, which yeah. does does influence my enjoyment of it. So I'm curious to see how our enjoyment differs yeah. because of that. I mean, there were definitely moments where I was expecting certain things to happen Mm-hmm. Uh, based on what I understood, like knew of the novel um, and the story, but I don't think it ruined my enjoyment. I think I was mostly curious as to why those weren't there. But understanding that we've changed the setting, mm-hmm. we've changed the characters and their relationships, um, that didn't that didn't impact me too much. Um, I think it just mostly had me thinking, like, oh, I see how she changed that then, um, or oh, I see why this didn't happen. Um, but without getting too spoilery, um, it definitely left me with some questions. Uh, okay. Not not good or bad, just questions. So Questions. Okay. Well, another question yeah. for you based on oh, talking about expectations. Yeah. You mentioned we've read uh, Mexican Gothic for the podcast mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. So we're both familiar with the author already. Mm-hmm. Did our ex- For you, did your experience with the author set up any expectations for you? And of like, oh, I really like that previous book, so I have high expectations or, you know, whatever. Yeah, so reading Mexican Gothic, I think one of the things we talked about was that that book was a slow burn, mm-hmm. um, as most Gothic uh, books are. And mm-hmm. I think that this, I knew going into it that it was going to be a slower burn um, than some of the, like the romance books that I've been reading were like very, very fast. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised that this one was a little bit faster. Um, I felt like there was more happening overall, uh, the pacing. I think it starts off pretty slow to give you a sense of like life on the island, who the characters are. Um, There's a time jump. Um, So, yeah, it was really interesting. She definitely did a different uh, job on this one uh, in terms of pacing, which was a nice surprise. I think that's why this book went so fast. Um, I think in general, her books are very easy to read. Um, So that was really nice, too. so I know like you were texting me like, have you started yet? And I was like, nah, like I know I'm going to read this book really fast. <laughs> but I mean, I did st- I did start it earlier than the last one. <laughs> um, but I still finished right up until we started recording. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's life. That's how it happens. Yeah. But no, I, I think it was mostly about the way that she tells the story and the pacing that I was really curious about and her language. I knew going into it that there would be uh, some language that we would need to kind of like dive into and read up on she does like to use mm-hmm. the vernacular um the vocabulary of the demographic that she's talking about yeah. so we'll kind of get more into that um in the spoilery section i mean i think that could be like a non-spoiler but there was a lot of vocabulary in here that could be challenging yeah. um there is a lot of spanish that she doesn't necessarily like she just kind of slips in there and as i think we're both spanish speakers right and mm-hmm. readers so it wasn't too hard to figure it out but there were actually some that were like either specific to that day and age like the word for carriages or like carts like the way that the people got around um but also like the mayan words that were kind of put in there yeah um, because this area still had a lot of mayan indians uh because it's what did we say 18th century or 19th century i think, I think this book takes place like 1881 to 1887 yeah, so it's there's still a lot of native peoples um, on the island. They still speak their language. Um, they're trying, the English are trying to eliminate them. The Spanish, the Mexicans are still trying to get rid of them, but they are still very much around in that area. The language is still prevalent. Um, 
So that was really interesting. So just kind of people come in with that expectation, have your Google ready. If you're on a Kindle, what's nice is I could just highlight it and it would define it for me. I'm so jealous. So like that was really nice because I was like, oh, I don't know what that word is. And I was just hold it down. (laughs) And then it was like, okay, cool. Um, But sometimes even the Kindle like couldn't pull it. It was like, I can't find this word anywhere. So I kind of figured it out through context. Um, So yeah, that's those were kind of my initial first impressions was like I knew language was going to be what I like is that she tries to remain authentic to like the the setting that yeah. she's put us in. Um, but this was a little bit trickier because I do not speak any Mayan languages. Spanish is very different. Um, but yeah. Yeah, you, you brought up a lot of stuff that I was going to touch upon. Um, yeah, I, I do want to point out that this story is told um, with a, a very real hi- historical uh, yeah. backdrop of um, the, the Mayan people and, and them fighting back against uh, Mexican government and uh, English-born people kind of coming into the area and really kind of fighting for their for their independence. Um, mm-hmm. So so while the story itself is science fiction, it's definitely... It's grounded in history, yeah, which right, I think she right. did in Mexican Gothic as well. Which is mm-hmm. why I really like her writing. I really yeah. love this author because she does such a good job of educating people on the history of the time periods that she chooses. I think all of her books that I've read so far um, have been historically historical fiction with some sci-fi or um, gothic romance, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think this was really interesting. I think you bring up a good point. Um, she does bring in a lot of the history lessons, which I think really added to the story. I think that it made it feel more real. Oh yeah, it just added to it absolutely. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't feel like you really needed to good. know what was happening. You didn't need to be a history. You didn't, but it it's was just, like even better. Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. oof, we've you've added more flavor yeah. to it. It's like she and added even, more spice. And even with the, like the Mayan language that the words kind of inserted mm-hmm. in there, like you didn't need to necessarily know what they meant. Mm-hmm. It definitely yes. helped, you know, sometimes, but it didn't. context, you could figure it out, exactly. you know, like exactly. the way that she introduced the language naturally, mm-hmm. you kind of pause for a second. But as you read the story, yeah. I don't yeah. think I paused towards the end at all. Like by halfway through the book, I was like, OK, yeah, I know what that word generally means. Right. But yeah. I couldn't find it's it. An animal. I don't know which animal, but I know it's an animal. I'll just move on. Or right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or like based on the description, I could figure out it was a porcupine or you know, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I did, I did like that. Her creative yeah. language, super, super well done. I think she does a really good job of that. Um, without it also feeling pretentious, it feels very no. accessible, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, not a lot of complaints for this book. Let's just say that at least for yeah. me. No, I, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- this isn't spoilery, but I was messaging you yesterday about I was like normally I take a lot of notes I have a lot of questions about things a lot of things maybe don't make sense for this story I was just in it I was I didn't really take any notes I was just enjoying it yes uh, yes I agree yeah so it was so just such it was just such an easy book to get into like you said I didn't have to question a lot I mean I think one of the things that I did in my research on the original story was like what was the reception to Dr. Moreau um and I think some things that I read was that H.G. Wells wrote this book as sort of like a political commentary, like symbolic political commentary on like homophobia and xenophobia. Um, 
just kind of like getting people to really question like what makes a person a person like what makes man a man um because these hybrids are people because they've been created to be people it's super interesting like the original story i don't know there's a there's a lot of analyses there um that i'm not i'm not going to pretend to know because i've not read the book um but the other part of it was that there was a lot of criticism that there was no that that the story wasn't based as much as it is science fiction. There's not a lot of science to support like the hybrids and the experiments. Like how could you actually get animals to blend with humans like that? Um, And I think this book did a much better job. Again, I haven't read the original of like explaining how he did it. And also kind of like at sometimes just being like, I even I, Dr. Moreau, don't know how it worked. Like, that's a non-spoiler version, but like at some point we get to like some questions from the people in the story around him who are like, How did you make this result? And he's like, I'm not really even sure. <laughs> like, just kind of happened. Um, which didn't take out from it because again, if you're thinking about this like right in the 1800s, late 1800s, like we didn't know a lot about we like Mendel had his experiments about genetics, but like we were still kind of figuring that stuff out. So for a doctor to be like, all I know is that it's possible. I haven't figured out how is actually pretty plausible. And in my opinion, I'm not a scientist though. So like that was pretty easy for me to suspend any disbelief and be like, yeah, sounds about right for the time. Like a guy, a white man, cause the Dr. Moreau is French walks into a lab Throws some stuff together. He's cured smallpox. Sounds about right. Uh, discovers penicillin on an orange peel. You know, like on a moldy orange. It's kind of how things happen. Um, so <laughs> to me, it didn't seem that crazy. And the lack of science to support it actually was like pretty accurate for the time. And the fact that he was like, I need more time and more money to really understand what's occurred here. I was like, yeah. Sounds like today, even. Sounds like now. <laughs> we don't know how it works. Just give me more time and money. So, I don't know. I was able to suspend that disbelief. I don't know about you. Well, I want to touch upon kind of what you said a little bit ago about the original story kind of being a commentary on, on homosexuality. Because I had, I had never heard that angle before. Um, the the What I'm familiar with, and they could both be true, but what I'm familiar with is how vivisection at, at the time that the book mm-hmm. was written yep. was this brand new kind of pseudoscience thing. Mm-hmm. And so many of the classic sci-fi books all sprung out of, hey, there's this thing happening in society, in science. What if it went bad? <laughs> you know, like, w- what can this be? And that's what uh, Frankenstein was. That was that sprung out of the idea of galvanism, I believe it was. And this kind of this new belief of like, oh, you can galvanize things back to life. So the Mary Shelley ran with that and we got Frankenstein. And this was, well, vivisection, cutting together things. Uh, what can be the bad side of this? What can, you know, what can ultimately become of this? Oh, here we go. You have a, do- a doctor creating animal-human hybrids. Um, and that's what classic sci-fi is, is a commentary on something politically scientifically you know but yeah so as you were saying i think this book did a better job at it because it has the benefit of over 100 years of science 
Sylvia Moreno Garcia can take the original story, the original very loose science, and say, you know what? This might make a little more sense. Actually piecing together animals and humans probably won't work, but what if we kind of look at it more of genetics and 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 infusing some DNA and and um and yeah. Actually, I should probably have said let's let's just go into spoiler territory. <laughs> We've already think, kind of been there, but uh, this well, is your official no, warning. I think, I think we've I think we've covered the topics <laughs> in a very high level way. We've teased it now. Yes, now let's warn our readers. We're going to really dive in deep. Yeah. Here. So this this is your your official warning that now we're going to get into specifics. So if you haven't read it yet. Uh, by all means, go out and read it. As of the time of this recording, uh, the book came out yesterday. So it is still brand new. I think by the time this supposed releases, it'll be out for only a week. But by all means, go out and read it if you like. Okay, spoilers. Now we're good. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. where do we want to start with spoilers? We already kind of touched upon how this is obviously adapted from the original story, just put into Mexico. I think it starts off pretty... Um, was a word in Wikipedia pretty accurately to the original story. Um, you know, obviously you swap out characters and settings, but you saw, you have a doctor who's been doing experiments. Mm-hmm. You have a new gentleman who's kind of coming in as an outsider and seeing this, these monstrosities, these hybrids, oh, yeah. and kind of adapting to that. And then from there, that's kind of where it takes a different angle. Um, and that and character inter- is still named Montgomery. Right? Isn't there a Montgomery in the there original? There is Montgomery in the original story, but I think I think this Montgomery serves a different the purpose, purpose of like two because the, the original there is a Montgomery yeah. who was like the person already on the island, and there is a, a man who was like shipwrecked, and he was like the way in for the audience. Uh huh. And so I think this Montgomery serves both those roles in one. That's what. Okay, that was kind of my impression. Again, not having read the book, yeah. but read the synopses, that's what I thought too. I was like, I feel like those two characters. Yeah are embodied in this Montgomery, um, which is interesting because he is also one of our narrators or one of our mm-hmm. viewpoints in the book. Um, so it's told from the perspective of Carlo- Carlota and Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And Montgomery starts off, like you said, as an outsider, but he gets embraced by the island, by the mm-hmm. hybrids, by the fan- by Moreau and his daughter, um, and it's really interesting to see how he falls in love, not necessarily with like the idea of vivisection, but just like the safety and the space that's been created there. Sure. Super interesting. Yeah. Well, well, well the character, I mean, mm-hmm. for people listening, he he's had a rough life <laughs> and um, yeah. and he's kind of at rock bottom. So when he's brought in, it's really to to take a job because he owes uh, someone a lot of money. So he doesn't have a whole lot of options to begin with. And so I think that's why he's like, well, this is weird, but what else am I going to do? But yeah, but he really does come to embrace Moreau, his daughter, all the hybrids, the land. Um, and I thought that was such a awesome angle for Moreno Garcia to take of like, these aren't monsters. 
In the original book, they were monsters or monstrosities. It was almost a horror book. This was not horror at all. This was very romantic of like, no, you have Cachito and you have... Um, oh, Cachito, Lupe. Oh, what's that? Lupe? Lupe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you have these two little, you know, kids who are hybrids, but they're lovable. They're just kids, right? It, it, yeah, you see the humanity in them. Yeah. Um, and then there's a good reminder that they did not ask to be created. Mm-mm. And so when they're being called monstrosities, it's like, are we the monsters or is it Dr. Moreau who created us to be servants mm-hmm. to men, to to uh, Lizalde and his family? And he bred them to be in pain. He bred yeah. them to they especially the earlier hybrids. So in this book, we hear kind of about like the the different generations of the hybrids of the experiments. So there are the older hybrids who are growing much faster than like the average human would, still longer than an animal. Like they might have the lifespan of like 20, 30 years, but which is significantly shorter than a human. So after 20 years, they're already in their old age. Um they have a lot of uncontrollable growth. They grow their teeth really quickly. So even and grow too much, like the teeth get too big. So they actually cause pain and like their their joints are twisted. Like they don't really grow correctly because, again, they're not human, but they're not animal. And they're trying to grow in a way that is not natural to their, their organic being and their function that they should have. And, and Dr. Morrell let them live. He continued to breed them. Mm-hmm. So it, it really this this book really does pose a lot of questions around like who is the monster right in these science fiction books right is it is it the animals or is it the men that have ordered the creation of such beasts for their own servitude for their own pleasure for their own use and then like Dr. Morrow's like well I'm trying to help the world I'm trying to cure disease like I actually never intended for any of them to become you know servants to Lizalde and his family but they're still serving a purpose for him uh, ultimately at the end of the day this doctor he wants to create something that will give him accolade to give him notoriety to bring him back into the folds of civilized society back in France and England where he had been a scientist. So this also then gets kind of back to that age old question of like, is there truly such thing as a selfless act? Right. Can we truly do anything that does not involve self-interest? I don't know that, you know, I, I still don't know the answer to that. I think at times our purest intentions are set, but ultimately we do do something to feel good about ourselves and our place in this world. Um, and this book was really good at questioning that. And again, who is the real monster? I think that's, if I had to summarize this book in one question, this is what, uh, Moreno Garcia was asking the whole time. I think, yeah. Well, I think that's really good because I didn't think about this just now, but Moreau in, in the original book, he's a mad scientist, right? And, and, in those kind of books, they are the monster. He's the, he's the person who's doing this. And he's a monstrous person, maybe even evil. But in this mm-hmm. book, even though we're told his reasonings for things aren't always the most altruistic, and even though he's aware of certain things and lies to other people, I, I never really got the sense that he was the bad guy. And I don't know if that was just my taking, like my takeaway mm-hmm. from it, or if that was intended in the writing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really felt like this book did a good job at portraying characters as not inherently good and not inherently yes. bad, but 
complicated. People are capable of doing good things and bad things. And sometimes they do good things for the wrong reasons. And sometimes they do bad things for the right Mm -hmm. reasons. And, and Moreau was that, I think he definitely was it clearly he started out not being a good father, but by the end, I think he actually cared for Carlota and wanted to be open and honest with her. Mm-hmm. I think part of him did want to do good. And even though he was building these hybrids as potential laborers, he was also trying to prevent that life for them at the same time. Yeah. And so it was this weird of like, is Moreau a bad guy or not? I don't, I don't know. Like, I didn't yeah. cheer when he died. I wasn't sad when he died. I just yeah. was like, oh. I was like, he died as a result of that's like the, this that's conflict it. that was yeah. created. Uh, no, and, and you saying that too made me kind of think like there was also this element of like, you know, instinct, uh, like animalistic tendencies, right? So Carlota yeah. Um, yeah. and Lupe and Cachito. Mm-hmm. So Cachito is at some point like we do we do a time jump so we were introduced to Carlota and Montgomery and Moreau and Lupe and Cachito and you kind of hear that like people tend to prefer Lupe because she's not quite as like animalistic like she doesn't yeah she blends in more she blends in a little bit more whereas Cachito is like very obviously a hybrid um and also the way that he acts like Mm -hmm. he'll kind of like nip in frustration like an animal would especially like if he's not getting like sweets and then we see later on in the novel that he gets defensive of the family, uh, Montgomery and Carlota and Moreau, um, when the visitors come, mm-hmm. uh, the owners. And there's a lot here where it's like, how much of this is like humans fighting their animalistic instincts versus an animal fighting their their human instincts in the hybrids? Um, and like, it makes me think that like Moreau a lot of his behavior came from like a self-preserving nature, which is very animalistic at the core, right? Yeah. Like it, it, yeah. it's survival of the fittest, right? So as much as he knew that like Carlota and Montgomery and Cachito and Lupe like would be, where would they go if they didn't have funding and have this like safe space for the hybrids? And he lies in order to preserve them and himself to survive. Right. And like tries to ship Carlota off to get married mm-hmm. to Eduardo, which is like the son of Mr. Lizalde. And all of that, like, could be said is very animalistic. Like, that's a very natural instinct. Like, preserve, fake it till you make it. Like, just try to survive at any by any means necessary. And he did it in a very human way by lying and kind of putting on a show with the hybrids and like, you know, teaching them to behave. He was trying to teach them, like, these one-dimensional human traits of like be good be calm be chaste be patient you know do these things that sort of like subdue the animal within you but ultimately that animal instinct wins right like our basic hierarchy of needs have to be met i thought that was really interesting too that like i don't know if he's evil it's just maybe he found the balance between that animal instinct and the human side of it and played it really well Uh Yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that's everybody. That's all, all that's the main everybody characters. In the movie. I think that's the whole point. Yeah. Of this, like, so one of the things while you were talking about the original story, I kind of looked it up to refresh my memory. Was like, 
H.G. Wells, part of this was like he wanted to show how like even man is very animalistic. Like even when you mix an animal with a human, the human still has these like animalistic Mm -hmm. tendencies. Um, And so it just got me kind of thinking of like, yeah, I think that was still kind of the point of this book, too. It was told in a really different way. But like we see so many instances of like this as much as like Lupe or uh, uh, Cachito, right? Yeah, Cachito. Cachito. As much as they like try to push that animal side of themselves down, it comes back up in like really stressful situations. Like somebody is yelling, somebody's getting upset, somebody's threatening to shoot somebody. There's a lot of instances of like violence, aggression, and and anger in this book between the characters. Uh, tensions run really high, especially again, you've got your basic needs aren't being met. They don't have money. They might get kicked out of their house um, because Mr. Lizalde, he wants to, uh, he wa- he wants to prove that his investment's been worth it. Um, and his son is like, yeah, my, my father wants to talk to you. And you find out that it's because his father's probably going to pull the plug on this whole operation and what it's, what's going to happen. Um, and that tensions run high. And uh, we see a lot of that come out to play. A lot of these animal instincts between all the characters, even, even Dr. Moreau when he beats Cachito. Oh, yeah. Like you even like there was a moment where she described it like, like everyone's like, we think that's enough. And he's like, I think you're right. But he has to like pull himself out of it. Yes, yeah. Like he's, he's, out of it. He's, he's like pulling out his cane to like take it further. Um, and even like the, and it's because Cachito bit somebody's hand. He hurt one of the visitors. And the visitor was like, well, please, you know, go punish him. And even that visitor was like, wait, 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 the cane's too much. Like he's yeah. already been beaten. His eyes yeah. swollen. He's bleeding. He's cut up. I think he's, gotten the point and even talk to Murrow has to you know take a minute pull himself out so it's it's really interesting the balance of of human and animal tendencies and all the characters regardless of hybrid status or not right yeah yeah, yeah it's it's yeah when we think of an animal human hybrid the, at least for me the initial thought is the human is a little more elevated, right? You're going to try to bring in the the more civilized elements of a human with to to counteract the more animalistic things. But to your point, humans are Still capable animals. of really bad stuff. So you can be a fully human animal hybrid and still be capable of so much bad. And that's not because of your animal side. That's all your human side exactly. potentially. Exactly. Like it's like how much of the human yeah. side is human and how much of it is animal like are they truly 50 50 i don't think so i don't think so uh yeah I so don't i don't know what else what else should we talk about what else that was real deep we went we went i know and we, we didn't even get home to home run at the beginning and we didn't even get to the point that a lot of this is a commentary on race as well uh-huh oh <laughs> like, yeah i mean you, you look at these animal hybrids and that's easily just it's it's the colonizer looking down on anybody of color and thinking them as less civilized, right? Um, and so there's that whole yeah. commentary too, and 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 well, that's why I love sci-fi because you are able to talk about these things yes. in ways that are like they're obvious, but not so in your face, right? You're not, able to ignore them. Yeah, yeah, you're able to. Just like, oh, yeah. okay, this isn't about animals. This isn't about brown people. This is about animals. <laughs> <laughs> this has nothing to do with colonizers. No, no, not at all. Colonized. No. <laughs> 
Well, and so it's so, okay, kind of getting into that. So Carlota, yeah, she is described as this like beautiful creature mm-hmm. after our, our, I think we have like a six year time jump. She's 20. She yeah. starts the novel at 14. Now she's 20. Um, and the most of the novel takes place when she's 20 years old. And she is described with like really dark hair, these beautiful features, um, you know, very exotic eyes. You know, the subtext being she's exotic, yeah, <laughs> uh, not so subtle subtext. Um, and she meets uh, one of our characters, Eduardo Lizalde, who is the son of her father's benefactor and who owns their property. And he is immediately infatuated with her. He's, mm-hmm. She's nothing he's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. He would love to bring her to parties. He would love to spoil her. <laughs> and even like his... Um, his cousin Isidro is there, uh, ha- has traveled with him from their, from their other casa. Wait, no, 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 no. What was it? Something hermosa. Uh, Vista? Vista hermosa, Vista, I think. Yeah, or Vista, Vista something. Vista hermosa, which is like their other house, like their main house on this peninsula. And he's like, you know, I just, I just think he like gets bored. He likes shiny things. Like he had an affair with somebody for two months in Mexico City. Then it was over. I don't really want him to do that again. Like she's just a trinket. Like they're all objectifying this young sure. woman who's never been exposed to the outside world. Like she has never left this compound, has only known her father and the hybrids and uh, Mr. Montgomery. I, I, the, it was not so subtle, like exoticism and like misogyny wrapped in, yeah. but, I, but that was the point. That was the time. Right? Sure. Um, and the commentary on that, I don't know what your thoughts were. Well, I, I forget what part of the book it was, but the entire, up until this point, it's gone out of the way to say that she's beautiful. Yeah. And then there's this one point in the book that adds to that of like, She's she's really dark, but despite that, she's beautiful. Yes, yes. Right, like, yeah. So um, it's always curious to see how authors tackle this when you're doing historical fiction in certain parts of the world and in certain eras of, of history, right, where this is the norm. Yeah. Um, so, so for our readers, yeah. our listeners back home, Colorism in Mexico is still very much a thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I realize that not every, like, because we're Latina, like, this is such a big part of, like, our discussions, like, mm-hmm. in our culture. Uh, but not everyone knows about this. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about it. So, as in much of the world, light equals beautiful, dark mm-hmm. equals property, Le- less, than. less than something to own, yeah. something to, like, collect right Right. something is beautiful in spite of its color or intelligent in spite of its color surprising in spite of its color there's a lot of that narrative around carlota Mm -hmm. i mean she is said to be graceful she is said to be intelligent and charismatic and funny and gorgeous and you know all of these things despite Mm -hmm. her sex and despite her race despite mm-hmm. her obvious coloring. And it is something that she becomes prized for, admired for from a very like objective viewpoint. <laughs> and it was very interesting in this book because knowing that this author is modern, a modern modern yeah. author, and knowing also Mexican Gothic, uh, where there was like a similar narrative, 
Um, I was kind of ready for that. I was like, ah, Carlota's going to fuck some shit up, knowing that this is kind of how Mexican Gothic went down, too. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think there was there was a lot there that I, I, I'm i curious to to know what you were going to say. But I just thought we should preface um, that for anyone who doesn't know. And that colorism is still very prevalent to this day in Mexico sure. and a lot of uh, South American countries. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. I know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You, you expect it. You expect it because of, like you said, yes. if you're familiar with the author, you expect it. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with the time and, and the, the country and in the, the country politics, and yeah. where it is, especially with the backdrop of the Mayan, like I forget oh, the exact yeah. term, but you know, that revolution. Yeah. Um, Be- because traditionally Mayans were also darker. Uh, the darker, native population yes. is darker. darker. Yes. Yeah, the, the fair skin all came from Europe. Yes, they were all the Spaniards and the British who came yeah. over and tried to yeah. conquer uh, Mexico or did conquer mm-hmm. uh, Mexico. Um, and so it was assumed that if you were darker, you were probably mixed um, mm-hmm. or or directly descended from that gene pool. Yeah. Um, and so I think at one point Montgomery talks about like the hierarchy in this in this area of the world and how as a foreigner he kind of is able to escape it. He's able to get around it because he's a British man, not from Mexico. So he's an outsider, period, but he's a light-skinned outsider. So he he recognizes he has a lot of privilege that Carlota does not. Right. Um, so with her coloring, it does come into play with these visitors, how they view and treat her and the rest of the people on the property compared to her father, who is a Frenchman, and is known to be a Frenchman, and is not described as being white, but we can envision well, yeah, he, yeah. is white, um, given that he is not facing the racism that she is. So I did appreciate that this author, one, tackled it very obviously from the get-go. And it colors every interaction in this book. I mean, the, the, the microaggressions and the like nonverbal language that she describes in like every interaction between Carlota and even like Montgomery does it to her. Like he'll be like, Oh, her beautiful dark hair and her graceful Brown skin or whatever. As she like dances around and how she blends in with the shadows at night. Cause she's so dark. It's like, yeah, that's how she would have been viewed in the world at the time. And especially by men. Yeah. So I, that just felt really real me I, I also think though there's a little bit going the other way because they make it a point of of saying carlota loves eduardo's green eyes mm-hmm. right which yeah so i think the same thing kind of goes the other way where she looks at him and he is different and light and green and and she's well but she's been exposed to european fashion magazines mm, yeah so her only images of the outside world have lauded light-skinned, lighter So then eyes. it just goes back to society saying this is the beauty standard, which is still the case up to this day. So that's yep. what she's saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. And she, st- and she hasn't seen other men other than Montgomery, Montgomery her yeah. father, who are white. Right. So I, I still think, yes, she is, he's a foreign object to her, but I think that any beautiful man could have potentially had this effect on her. But I think because her imagery of a traditional male, because there are hybrid males, is the European beauty standard. Absolutely. And I think that 
that's why she i mean she kind of even says like i can't stop thinking about his green eyes like that's all she really likes about him at first is how what he looks like so i do agree with that that goes both ways the like collection and like the admiration of their physical traits is very obvious from the beginning and is the basis of their courtship for a good majority of the time they get physical pretty fast people oh yeah uh there is no waiting for marriage in this book Uh, (laughs) they hide it like they're not like running around being like yeah we're having sex over here but that does happen very quickly especially given that she has like zero exposure to men grows up very pious and not puritanical per se but i mean her father isn't really teaching her the birds and the bees <laughs> so no. i don't think she does what he's trying to is. merge the bird into bees but yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly but yeah so their their whole courtship is based around like physical appearance and attraction not necessarily like who they are like he's fascinated by her but she's not real. It's not really going the same way in that in that sense. Like she's not like, oh, you're so intelligent for a white guy. And all the girlies say I'm pretty fly for a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, do you think yeah. do you think she was a strong female character? I mean, and 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 how difficult is that to write in the setting? I think this author did a really good job of developing her into a strong female yeah. character. Um, I think it also stayed very true to the time period and then true to the characters. I don't want to give too much away because it is a very new book. Um, but there are secrets in this family. And I think that once she uncovers these secrets, she really like embraces a side of herself and empowers herself in a way that felt very authentic to the time period and her circumstances. Um, like she really rose to the occasion, really grew into herself um, as a result of the adversity that comes to play with the family trying to get they're getting kicked off their land. They kind of have to fight for their lives and and all that stuff, kind of similar to the book um, where there's conflict between hybrids and and the the doctor and Lizalde and everything. So, yeah, I know I think she did a really good job. She was a very interesting character. I think she went from being like very naive docile pious young woman to a very strong skeptical and you know selfish empowered in a way that she was like i know what i want now at the end of the novel and and went for it and stuck to her what am i thinking stuck to her guns there we go that's what I'm there saying. you go that's like, yeah. yeah um yeah, it is. I think it is challenging to write a female character in the setting because so much of women at the time, you, you, they weren't people. They were, they, they were property of first their father, and then their spouse. Mm-hmm. Right. That was it. Is like you do what I say until you're married, and then you do what the husband says. And and like, there's and, even notes about how like a woman couldn't get married until her unless her father said so. Right. And, like, she wasn't allowed to leave the house unless her father allowed her after the age of, like, 20 or 21 or what. I Like, I, I don't know. There's a whole section on that. Mm-hmm. And um, then the book also goes into how if if a man sleeps with a woman and, like, mm-hmm. sullies her, then she is there for basically, like, no good as property anymore. And, and then you can, like, the father of the son or what has to pay, like, reparations for, like, there's, like, legal consequences. Yeah, like, they, really, I, they, they, yeah, they really go to court for that yeah. stuff, too. Um, like, if the, if the groom doesn't want to marry her, 
Yeah, there, is, that's what it is. Which is which is also like historically seen in other in like European societies as well. Like mm-hmm. in Europe and in, in high society, yeah, you you slept with somebody if you if a lord slept with another lady or or miss who is in society. You best believe if they got caught, I mean, anyone who watches Bridgerton, if they got caught, they had to get married. And that is not a stretch from the truth. That was 100% real. But of course, when you marry or when you cross societal boundaries, like in this case, like Eduardo sleeping with her, he didn't owe her anything. She mm-hmm. was not a woman out in society. Mm-hmm. She was a nobody in the middle of nowhere that nobody knew about. He did not have to marry her. So, I mean, that was definitely something that that this author did a really good job of playing into another layer to this character, Eduardo and Carlota, respectively, about how their relationship played out and why they're, the betrayal at this point, because this is when things start to come out, the secrets what makes it so much more interesting because he was going to marry her. He really was. I was he honestly was, surprised he was going to. I was to. surprised too because well, men are trash. Yeah. Comes out. There he is. Perfect but, time. Yeah. When he actually announced the engagement, it was like, oh, yeah. I thought you were just going to sleep with her and like, what are you talking about? I, didn't, I never said anything. Bye. Right. I totally thought he'd be like, okay, Dr. Moreau, we're out of here. And she's like, yeah. hey, I thought you said you were going to marry me. And he's like, you're crazy. Yeah, no. I thought he was going to gaslight her or yeah. like just be like, you're a whore. I don't know. You're a nobody. I don't have yeah. to do anything. But I mean, her dad does fight for her. He's like, no, they've slept together, which I was like, dad, you knew. I mean, and he was parading her around like a prize to be won. So to be fair, I think he wanted that again to, to again, Moral. that's like the animal instinct of like, you sleep with him. We get money and we get to keep yeah. our house. Like, oh, yeah. Go ahead, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, he was absolutely I... pimping her out. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. dressing her up, beautiful yep. gowns, doing her hair, enticing them with mm-hmm. his daughter. But yeah, so that that was really, I think, very well done. It wasn't always there, but you knew it was there. She didn't have to explicitly say it. She did a couple times, but you knew. You were like, mm, this isn't going to end well, <laughs> which is why the twist was so good. At least. The twist. Um, should we talk about the twist or should we leave that for people to discover? I think maybe we should leave that. I think I think we got I don't want to ruin it too soon. Yeah, it's a newer people. book, and I think I think even if you've read the original people, yeah, book yeah. that this is based off of, there's still enough kind of in here too. But I wanna know. I wanna know, fresh. Rico. And I wanna what? know, listeners. Yeah, if yeah. you saw the twist coming, did you know? Well, actually, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to ask you because when I was reading it, I was like, I know that this twist is coming at the end. Absolutely, this twist is 100% there, like 5% of the of the way in. I knew this twist was coming. Okay. And then as the book kind of kept going, I'm like, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe it's a red herring. Maybe that's what the author is expecting you to think. So that's not going to be the case because they introduce some other pseudoscience of like, that's oh, not yeah, the yeah, case. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then later on, like, no, no, it's definitely happening. So when it when the twist actually was revealed, I'm like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I never doubted myself, but yeah, I saw I saw it pretty early on as well. Yeah. I was like, this is so suspicious. But we're not <laughs> gonna say too much, you guys. We're gonna actually keep this one to ourselves. Yeah. Um, because it's a new book. I think this is fair. Yes. Yeah, and there's like, lots more we can get into. We haven't really touched upon Montgomery yeah. at all. We haven't uh, yeah. We haven't talked about the rebels. Um, yeah. 
there, I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, get there's away. so much more, but I think we touched upon the biggest things. Yeah. We can leave the rest up for everybody else to discover on their own. Yeah. Discuss amongst yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Find us in a coffee shop. Talk to us. Yeah. In Sacramento. Um, or online. You can find us online. That's true. Comment on our uh, Instagram. So currently on Goodreads, book is rated 3.97 out of uh, 659 ratings. So it, it is a newer book. So there's a few ratings. I'm sure by the time this episode releases in a week, that number will go up. Mm-hmm. Actually, funny enough, I think I checked the rating yesterday and it was at 4 point something. Oh, okay. Which I so- think is mostly from the advanced readers. And so now that the general public has gone in their hands into it, it's going down a little bit. But I'll be curious to see where it kind of averages out in about a month or so. Mm-hmm. Bella, would you say this book is shit or the shit? I think if we have to go on such a strict binary, yes. the shit. Yes, I agree. I, agree. I really enjoyed this book. Very easy read. Yes. Um, It really made me just dive into the story. Um, really easy to pick up again because I wasn't able to read it like all in one sitting. Um, and the characters were super interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. especially I would say after like the 40% mark, I think I really got into it. Um, once we have like Eduardo and Isidro and then Montgomery's stuff coming up, um, it made it made for a really good book. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it took me a little bit to get into this book uh, yeah. for the first time. be like, 21st like quarter of it I, I just couldn't get into it but once i was in it i was definitely yeah. in it um slow and I think burn at first first 25 percent. yeah and burn. i think some of it is just the nature of it being historical fiction for me mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard for me to get my head into that universe and like really accept mm-hmm. it but once i was in there i was in there i yeah. blew past the rest of it it was really fun this is i think my fourth book by the author Mm, which, what other ones have you read? I've only read Mexican Gothic. So. Certain Dark Things, which is uh, a vampire book. Yes, that's on my list. Was it Gods of Jade and Shadow, I think is what it's called. And that's about Mayan like mythology. It's a fantasy with Mayan mythology. Love. Mexican Gothic, and then this one. Uh, and I would say this is probably my second favorite of her books yeah. that I've read. So it's I, I think I liked this more than Mexican Gothic. I think Agreed. Mexican Gothic was a lot slower. And just like kind of generally lacked a little bit in terms of the the, the action in it. Uh, yeah, I think this one's definitely more my jam about yeah. that one. I liked yeah. the level of science fiction that was in this one more. It's good. I think That's Mexican good. Gothic was more fantasy than science, right? I think we ultimately decided it was also science fiction, but it, it played like a fantasy. Yeah. I remember that one being a little bit more complicated to yeah put in a box. Um, yeah, it was it was it was all gothic until the very end, and then like oh, by the way, sciency. But <laughs> yeah, that that ending, the Mexican gothic ending, was very good. I think better yeah. than this book. I think because yes. this book, it made sense how it ended. That Mexican gothic did not see it coming. Was very complicated. Very good payout. Uh, very well done. Um, this one definitely you're kind of like, okay, it kind of ended how I thought it would yeah. uh, for everybody. But this is also a retelling. So you also kind of know what to expect. Which I will say, by no means do you need to read the original before you read yeah. this one. There's there's no... This stands there's, on its own. Absolutely. 100% yeah. agree. Yes. Yeah. So I think you can read... If you want to read both of them, I think you can read either in, in either order. They're mm-hmm. in t- totally independent. You can enjoy them both for separate things. But anyhow. Yeah. 
I'm definitely adding the the island of Dr. Moreau to my to be red pile, which is three years long. Um, oh, but it, I'll get to it eventually. <laughs> um, I got to build more bookshelves, man. Uh, you guys have unleashed a monster <laughs> that was asleep for years <laughs> and has now just gone out of control. The fact Ugh, that we went to God. a bookstore to pick this book up <laughs> and I came out with only a book for our other co-host, Laura, was a miracle. I practiced self I was very proud of you. Very I barely, I it, honestly, the trick was just not to look at the other books for too long because yeah. I would find something I wanted, but I went in being like, eh, any old little women books? Nope. Okay, move on. Um, <laughs> get in, get out. The trick is just scan the shelves. Yeah. If something really sticks out and calls to you, it was meant to be, but right. do not go searching for any book. Right, Don't go right. searching exactly. for any authors. Just, exactly. just quickly scan walk towards the exit yeah that's what we had to do that's what we had to do to survive we are on a budget so the book budget is non-existent right now i went way too crazy for small business month so or small business day so or small yeah. independent indie, book indie bookstore day there yeah. we go um so yeah that was that was that was a lot <laughs> all right so well, speaking of your your yeah. to be read list what uh what are you reading next what am i reading next um well we've got a couple upcoming episodes um for after dark we've got our next after dark book which i'll let you talk a little bit more about because you are our uh selector for this book <laughs> yeah um <laughs> so i just kind of was like sure sign me up so i have nothing to say about that um to let rico unveil his kinks um and then <laughs> and then what else am i reading uh What's our next book? What's our book after this for August? What month are we in? August? Yeah, so our next book for August is going to be The Book Eaters by Soon Yi Dean, which is out next month. So that'll be another new book that we're reading. Um, and that episode is going to feature returning guest host Sarah Marie Hawkins. Cool. So that'll be the next book. But yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's on my to-do list. I do have a lot of other books. Um, I do want to read some classics. I feel like there's some Jane Austen I haven't read. Emily Bronte, Charlotte Bronte that I have not read. Um, so I bought some at beers on Indie Bookstore Day that I should probably get to at some point. Um, but yeah, just trying to read more romance novels. So I'm going to be looking to uh, Emma, our other co-host on After Dark, for um, some recs she sent me. So just getting through that. Nice. Just powering nice. through. What about you, Rico? What are you reading? Well, now that I made my way through all of the Isaac Asimov stuff, um, I'm back on my bullshit and reading another Star Wars book. Uh, it's uh, this notes. one's Shadow of the Sith. It just came out in June, and, and this is one of the newer novels that uh, bridges the gap between the original trilogy and uh, mm -hmm. the sequel trilogy. Mm -hmm. So if you watch the sequel trilogy and you have some questions, this apparently has a, some answers for you. Uh, so I'm getting to that. And because you mentioned it, the, our next After Dark book, it's called Stalked by the Kraken. And as you hinted to, this is my selection. Uh, we we kind of agree that we're all going to be taking turns choosing a spicy book. So this is my pick. It was recommended by um, a TikToker. And yeah, I just felt like if we're going to go spicy, I, I want to go kind of weird with it. So of course, I had to pick one with tentacles. Oh, man. <laughs> Which was, I think, the only thing I was like, you know what I don't like? Tentacles. <laughs> Like you, dead, had chance dead dead you had a chance to veto. You had a chance to veto and you didn't take it. You know what? Because I am resolved to 
I am resolved to just join just on the ride and see where this takes us. Oh, yeah. You, you weren't on the last one. So this is going to be your first one. This oh. is my first one. Oh, boy. Oh, so I, I, I am sorry ahead of time. But apparently it's really good. It has really good reviews. And other people <laughs> who like spicy books, it's actually really good, which is ultimately why I chose it. Because it was between this one, it was between an alien one, and it was between... Um, Oh, I'm like another third, but I went th- with this one because it had good reviews. Okay. I chose it for the story. Thank you very much. I'm sure that's what you say to your parents or said to your parents <laughs> when they found your porn search history. Listen. When you were younger. Okay. Listen. I mean, I know the internet was like a thing in your, what, 30s or something, but. Just delete my history. That's all I ask when I, when I go. Just delete my internet <laughs> oh, history. Oh, God. No, that's not my job. <laughs> I didn't say you have to look at it. I just see it's deleted. Anyhow. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> not my job. I'm not touching all right. anything. <laughs> all right. Well, anyhow, so this, the, our, our next After Dark episode should be up in the next month or so. So just keep an eye out for that if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> if you, yeah, we're going to be very drunk for that. So have, have oh, fun. Oh, yeah. It'll be good. It'll be a good people. time regardless. Um, oh, yeah. And if you're one of my English students, please do not listen to After Dark. It is not appropriate. No, that's 18 plus only. <laughs> it, absolutely 18 plus only. Yeah. Anyhow, if you uh, read the uh, the daughter of Doctor Moreau and uh, want to share your thoughts with us, or have any questions, or if you got anything wrong, or even if you want to suggest any books for us to read, spicy or not, uh, let us know on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Shit We've Read. Uh, we're also on Facebook, but Facebook is a dead social media channel. So yeah, no Face that. what? Do you mean MySpace? Friendster, I think it was. Yeah, <laughs> GeoCities. Shit We've Read. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as as I mentioned earlier, our next book for uh, for August is going to be the book Eaters by Suni Dean, again featuring uh, returning guest host Sarah Marie Hawkins. So come back for that one; that'll be a um, good one. It's been on my TBR list for a while, so I'm glad we're reading it for the show. At least someone's TBR list is getting done. No, no, I I read <laughs> one add four. Okay, that's fair. As long as there's a yeah. Four to one ratio there. It's all yeah. even. And that's being generous. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bella, thanks so much for chatting with me. Yeah, thanks, Rico. This was uh this was good. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll do another Silvia Moreno Garcia book next year. Let's keep I it know. going. At this rate, we'll just do one a year. I like it. So yeah. keep them coming, yeah. Sylvia. Yeah. All right. Thank thanks so much for listening, everybody. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Shit We've Read is hosted by Laura Benson, Jason Rico, and Bella Romero, with music by Joshua Chilton and editing by Jason Rico. To join the discussion on this and all other books we've read, find us at Shit We've Read on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. For more information about us or to request transcripts, please visit shitweavered.com. This podcast is part of the Bilo Network. Visit bilonetwork.com for more great geeky podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening.